Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, thank you all for being here. And, uh, yeah, that was a very important uh, point that uh, he made that I want to remake, is that evolution is not the subject that we should be looking at. <clears throat> uh, creationism, I don't have any problem with creationism at all. I think there's a lot of legitimacy to creationism. <clears throat> but in relation to how we humans got here on the earth, I think the subject is intervention rather than evolution, because I'm totally convinced for myself that uh, we today are someone else's creation. Someone created us, and whoever created us, they're watching us now, and uh, there very well might be evil entities also who are watching us and trying to uh, mislead the whole creation of mankind. So it's a very interesting subject, but <coughs> excuse me, but Christians have talked about God creating man. <clears throat> Excuse me, but many years ago I talked with um, one of the leading rabbis in America. This is back in the 60s. And uh, he helped me to understand a lot of things about what the uh, book of Genesis was saying. And it became, became obvious to me that generally speaking, nothing in the book of Genesis that we Christians uh, in the Christian civilization have understood about Genesis was true. None of it because it's an encoded message. There's a lot of encoded stuff that the rabbis know, but they're not telling us, <coughs> not telling the Jews either, but, uh, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in Genesis. Um, so let's get on with it, because it'll, it'll be self-explanatory. So I call this, God did not create man. And of course, we're going to talk about the Bible. And incidentally, that's where I'm going to from now on. Um, I'm more interested now in the cosmic implications of where we are in life and who we are and where we're going. I'm not interested in politics. Um, I'm not interested in, in uh, the mundane world that we live in. I'm very concerned about the spiritual implications of uh, where we are as humans and what is God and what is the cosmic implications of where we are in history. There are some very serious things coming down on the earth and we need to wake up and find out it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with something going on out there. And that's what the Knights Templars said, as above, so below. 
And so whatever's happening to us down here, it's something is happening in the heavens. And I've always been interested in theology, but now I'm concentrating on nothing but theology now. <clears throat> so anyway, I was going to be dealing with, um, with the Bible, both the Old and New Testament. And of course, Genesis, uh, in the first chapter of Genesis says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Well, <clears throat> in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But you need to understand that um, <clears throat> the Bible reference works goes on to say, uh, the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth means the beginning of the heavens and the earth which are now. Because nobody knows when <clears throat> the universe was created. But the heavens and the, and the earth that we live on now, this is a story in the Bible of the times in which we are living. You know, modern day man and the heavens and the earth in which we are living in now. So when you want to talk about God creating the universe, well, nobody knows anything about that. We don't know how far back it goes. So the first point I wanted to make is that uh, when we talk about, in the beginning, God, well, the first thing's first. Uh, God, what are you talking about when you say God? Well, in Hebrew, the word God is El, E-L. El in Hebrew is God. But that's not the word that is used in Genesis 1-1. That's not E-L. Uh, so we need to define terms. What does the word God mean in the old original Old Testament uh, Hebrew language? The word for God in the, uh, in the uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created heavens and the earth. No, it's not God. E-L is God. But the actual word in Genesis 1-1 in the original Hebrew is Elohim. And Elohim is basically like putting a, uh, an S on the end of an English word, where you have car and then you add an S, it becomes cars, more than one. Well, putting Elohim on the end of L means in the plural, more than one. So the correct translation should be, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And this is coming from the OJB Bible, which is the original Jewish Bible, in which the Hebrew says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Well, of course, God in Hebrew, in Genesis 1-1, is Elohim. Here's the important point about all of this, is that God, the Hebrew word Elohim in Genesis 1-1, is a plural, meaning more than one. So, We've seen from different religious literature, scripture studies, outlines as God, Elohim, is plural. Uh, top, of the, top of the page it says the word Elohim is a plural word. In Hebrew, plural form of a noun ends in I-M-O-O-T. Elohim is a plural form of Eloah. On the bottom it says, uh, it is interesting to note that even Elohim is plural. The Hebrew dictionary still translates it. God instead of gods, and that's because of the influence of the Christian world on Judaism during the Middle Ages. Um, the church decided what, uh, what the Bible is going to say and what it's not going to say, and any Jews that get in the way will be, you know, they will be done away with quickly. So uh, the church kind of changed things around 
to fit the new dispensation, the new Christian movement. <clears throat> and so they just call it God. In the beginning, God created. No, it's Elohim, gods, more than one. From other dictionaries and biblical dictionaries, we see Elohim, the basic form, God, gods, there's a plural form of El, as I said, Unger's Dictionary, the plural form of Elohim. So what am I, uh, the bottom line on all of this is it says, look up the word God in the concordance, and under the heading you will find a list of all the verses where you can find the word God in the King James Version. And notice that the verse begins with Genesis 1-1, God made the heavens and the earth, but to the right of the verse, in number 430 of that word, Elohim, turn to the Hebrew and Chaldee Dictionary in the back of the concordance, look up the number 430, and you will find that the word Elohim, as used in Genesis 1-1, one finds Elohim. And on the bottom it says, um, you can now read Elohim in Genesis 1-1 by reading the text like this. In the beginning, Elohim made the heavens and the earth. Strong's definition of Elohim, as you will see, is a plural now. And it goes on to talk about this divine council of beings, even the very sons of God, B'nai Elohim, was an uncomfortable one for the ancient Jews after the Babylonian captivity because it directly shows the polytheism, which was later shunned, even stamped out with changes in the scriptures to erase any lingering traces through these were though they not always successfully destroyed. This is clearly seen in the Morgenstern's analysis as he tries to downplay the significance of Elohim being plural. With a rather weak contention, Psalms, the book of Psalms 29 and 89, where, where we read, B'nai Elohim is actually an artificial double plural formation of a singular Ben-El. Morgenstein admits that this attempt to making, at making the plural into a singular was during the post-exile Jewish theological thought because they felt the Jews felt the need to reduce as much as possible the extreme polythe polytheism of the original B'nai Elin, El. What this is basically saying is that the beginning of the Jewish faith uh, understood that there were many gods. And so, um, and so, but they tried to change it when Christianity was coming in. Change it into one God. Can't do that. The word is Elohim. It means plural, period. So, here's another um, quote. And God created man in his own image. But the Hebrew word Elohim is a plural form. So, uh, reference work in dictionaries says, also see God, Septuagint, Elohim is a common name for God. It is a plural form, meaning more than one. Here in the actual Hebrew translation in an Old Testament Hebrew Bible, where it says, uh, Elohim said, we shall make man. Uh, and now, what is we? You know, and here God says, we, uh, well, we shall make man in our image and our likeness. Now remember Moses and the Ten Commandments? Moses with the Ten Commandments. What was the first commandment? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and you shall have no other gods before me. Nowhere in the Bible does God say there are no other gods. He just doesn't want any gods before me. That's like I would say to my girlfriend, yeah, there's a lot of men out there, 
but I don't want to see anyone before me. Right? So there's a lot of mouth there, but you just remember. So, so um, this is why the you know the and the, the, um, the I think it's Exodus 20, no Genesis 20, where it talks about no it's Exodus 20 where it has the the uh, Ten Commandments that says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. doesn't say there are no other gods. And here's the way it says it in different translations. Same thing, no other gods before me. There shall be no other gods. And even in the OJB, the original Jewish Bible, says there shall be no Elohim in my presence. So, let's see, Deuteronomy 11 says, Take heed to yourselves that you let your heart not be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. So the Bible, even the Old Testament, admits that there are other gods. It's just God doesn't, but, but Yahweh did not want the Hebrews to worship any other god but him. But there are plenty of gods. First, you need to know that the people we call the ancient Hebrews were not actually Hebrews as such. What we call today the Hebrews were, in fact, uh, Phoenicians and Canaanites. And so they, the, 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 the people we call Hebrews today speak a language which is the Phoenician language. But since Hebrews speak it, we call it Hebrew. Uh, it's like saying that here in America, we speak the American language. No, we don't speak American. We speak English. We are Americans, but we speak English. Well, the same kind of idea is true with the calling, saying that the Hebrews today speak uh, speak a language called Hebrew. No, they do not. The language is called the Phoenician, Canaanite language, but the Hebrews speak it. So that's very important to remember. So here's an article in a, in a Jewish publication in the Judaism, and it says, it is the faith of the people of Judah is the development of the faith of the Semitic people known as Hebrews or Israelites. It is recognized as the first religious tradition noted for its monotheism. But Hebrew tradition did not begin as monotheism. So we have been told for many years that, that the Jewish religion and the Jewish people were the first monotheistic people in, in, in history. The first and monotheistic simply means a worshiper of one God. I think I've even got that here. <clears throat> the Hebrew people, we are told, were the worshipers of one God, and that's monotheistic. In point of fact, no, there has never been um, in the whole history of the Hebrew people a monotheistic religion. They were never monotheistic. They're not monotheistic now and never will be. The word correctly is heno. Look in the dictionary and look up the word heno, H-E-N-O, theistic. Henotheistic is what the Hebrews are today. The Jewish religion is a henotheistic religion. Henotheistic simply means the worship of one God without de denying the existence of other gods, or the belief in one God without denying the existence of others. Henotheistic simply means picking one God from a group. So it's like having 25 different gods, and the Hebrews picked Yahweh. And so they picked him, and so they made a contract with their God to be his people, and he would be their God. So in a matter of speaking, we could say the Hebrews were worshipers of one God. But it's not saying that there's only one God in the universe. No, no, there's many gods, but they made a contract with that particular God. So they're worshipers of one God. And so that concept 
of having many gods and picking one is called henotheism. So that's the name of that too. And there's a lot of articles written about henotheism. I'm not going to read a lot of this. I was going to, but we don't have a whole lot of time, so I won't. It says, from henotheism to monotheism. It says, carefully, careful readers have often noticed the gradual development of serving one God among many, henotheism, to the eventual claim that there is only one God, monotheism. So today, Christians believe that the Jews are the worshipers of one God. No, go back and do your homework. It never has been and never will be. The ancient Hebrews were worshipers of one particular God out of a group. And so it says, um, Yahweh is not Elohim. Rather, he is a part of the Elohim. So it's saying God is not uh, the Yahweh, the uh, God of the Hebrews, is not the almighty God. He is not all the gods. He is rather one of the gods. English Yahweh of hosts, they completely ignored the construct of Yahweh Elohim and translated as Yahweh God. And this I hear all the time from, from Jews and Christians, that what the Bible says is only one God. No, it does not. There are, the very word in Genesis 1-1 is Elohim, many gods. The, Hebrews of the, uh, the Hebrew of this verse literally reads, anyone sacrificing to Elohim will be destroyed unless it is to Yahweh himself. This is a very clear henotheistic view of Yahweh. While Yahweh is a part of the Elohim, he's a part of the gods, he is the only one that the Israelites are commanded to sacrifice to and not to any other of the gods. And again, you go back to the original Hebrew Bible, it says that in Genesis 1, 1, it says, God, Elohim, we shall create man. We. So, henotheism is the basis for Judaism. So now you pick up, and so now you understand, it is said that the Jews worship one God. No, there are many gods. They just pick one from the group. In the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms um, 82.1, the scripture says God, or Yahweh, in this case, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. So... He's a part of a, a whole group of gods, and he judges his people among all the other gods. So let's see how other verses, Bible verses, say this. Uh, the CEB Bible says God takes his stand in the divine council. Uh, the the uh, correct Jewish Bible says an Elohim God stands in the divine assembly where they're oh, oh, there with the Elohim, he judges. Another one, the ESV version of the Bible, God has taken his place in the divine council, in the midst of the gods. His place in the divine council. He presides in the heavenly council, in the assembly of the gods. So, you know, the Bible is filled with these quotes where, the El where Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, is one of the many gods who rules within a group of gods. So that in the Old Testament, but even that's in the Old Testament, but even the Apostle Paul in the Christian New Testament says, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, he says, for though there be that that are called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, 
as there are as there will be God's many and Lord's many. So even the Apostle Paul is saying, yeah, there's a lot of gods and lords. You, know, so you need to understand which one you're worshiping. The Amplified Bible says, indeed, there are many of them, talking about the gods. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So, to recap, the ancient Hebrews were not monotheistic, but they were worshiping one God. They were henotheistic, making it meaning that they pick one from a bunch of gods. And as we've said, even the Christian Apostle Paul said the same thing, that there are many gods and many lords. Now, let's go back to Genesis 1.26, where God is creating man. Because now it's actually the gods are creating man. So here in Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, uh, Elohim, the gods, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. What's us and our? Let God, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let's see how other Bibles say it. The Good News Bible says, and God said, and now we will make human beings. They will be like us and resemble us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New Living Translation of the Bible says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. The Common English Bible says, then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us. The Complete Jewish Bible says, and then God said, let us make humankind in our image and in the likeness of ourselves. The contemporary English version of the Bible says, now we will make humans and they will be like us. Uh, the easy to read version says, and God said, now let us make humans who will be like us. So in Genesis, and even in Genesis 3.22, uh, again, makes the same kind of claim. And it says, And the Lord God, or gods, said, Behold, man has become as one of us. He's become too smart. We made him too clever and too smart. He's become like one of us now. And so, um, in the Holy Bible, the New Life Version says, Let us make man like us. And here's the point. We now know that God is plural, more than one. So the gods have said, let us make man. Uh, no, that is a mistranslation. It, it was mistranslated. It is, not like, it is not saying, let us make man. God did not make man, as you will see. The word in Hebrew for man is ish, or ishi, I-S-H. Ishi, or ish, in Hebrew is man. But the Bible expressly says that the gods made A-D-M, not ish. So from a Hebrew dictionary, it says man is ish. Uh, here's another one. According to this, the Hebrew word for woman is isha and comes from the Hebrew word for man, ish. So if the Bible says God made man, it would say God made ish. 
Interesting, the word for man, woman in the Hebrew is identical. Man is pronounced ish. But the Bible doesn't say God created ish. It says in Hebrew, we shall make ADM, which is translated into our English, human, in the image of us. So God did not make ish. He made ADM in Hebrew. ADM and the Christian church added another A during like the 12th, 13th century. They added an A in there, so make it Adam. No, it's not Adam. A-D-M, three Hebrew letters, which means something esoterically to the Jews. It's a, it's a hidden code, A-D-M. But it is not Ish, I-S-H. So God didn't make Ish. He made A-D-M. Talk to the rabbis about what A-D-M really means in Hebrew. So, like so many other humans do, we, even ADM, which is uh, Adam, had uh, offspring, had male offspring, the Bible says. And look what the Bible says that describes when Adam had an offspring. It said, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image. Just like the gods created us in their own image and likeness. So it says, Adam had a son and and he had a son that was in his likeness and own image. Well, of course, if you have a son, he's going to look human. He's going to be like a human. Not going to look like some entity from an outer space. He's going to look human. So he's going to be made in your image and likeness. And so Adam uh, had, a, had his son. He looked at his own image and likeness, which is the same thing the Bible says about the gods who created us. They made us to look like themselves in their, in their image and likeness. So, there are many examples in the Bible that show that the gods look like us. And, or, actually, we look like them. They were here before we were. So, uh, I'm going somewhere with this, but I'm laying the foundation for it. A classic example is found in the story of Abraham meeting three visitors that came to visit him. In the book of Genesis 18, chapter, there's a story about Abraham uh, having three visitors, three men that came to visit him. And it says that Abraham was, uh, was filled with fear and bowed down. And it says, uh, here it is in 18.1, and the Lord. And you'll notice that the word Lord is capitalized. When the Lord, Lord is capitalized, it means it is the creator, Yahweh, one of the Elohim. But Yahweh, the Lord who created, uh, said, appeared to him. And it says, and he lifted, this is Abraham, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, there were three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent and bowed himself to the ground. These three men walked up. But one of them was the Lord, the creator, Yahweh. And so it goes on to say that the Lord appeared unto Abraham and three men, so it keeps talking about the three men. And then Abraham asked the three men to please stay for dinner, which they, they agreed to do. And so it said that Sarah went out and fixed a dinner for them. And they sat under the tree and had dinner. And then uh, after dinner, the three men, the, uh, two of them got up. It says after the eating, two of the three men got up to be on their way, while the third man stayed a bit longer to talk with Abraham. And so the men rose up. These are the two men that rose up to have, after dinner, and they were looking towards Sodom because they were going to Sodom. 
So, okay, now we see the two men got up after eating dinner, and Abraham walked with them a bit on their way to the city of Sodom. And it says in, in chapter 19, And there came two angels to Sodom that evening, and Lot sat in the gates of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up and, uh, to meet them. And he bowed himself, just like Abraham, Lot bowed himself down with his face to the ground, and he said, Behold, my lords, lowercase, and turn, and turn in, I pray, to your servant's house. So the point I'm making here is that in the book of Genesis 18, three men came walking up into the camp, and, they, and, and Abraham and Sarah made dinner for them, and they sat under the tree and had dinner with Abraham and his wife. Then two of the men got up, and they, had, they were going on to their business, and they were going on to Sodom. And, but then the next chapter, it says those two men are now called two angels that went into Sodom. Well, that's what the word back in Genesis 18 was, the Elohim. They were angels. They were gods. And there were three of them that popped up in front of Abraham. And one of them stayed. And so the men, the men said this and the men said that. Well, we can go on and read in Genesis 19 about what the men did. But later on down here in, chapter, in, in verse 15, it talks about the angels again. So the Bible in Genesis 18 and 19 is into using, into playing angels, with men. So, well, that's what the Bible says. God made us in his image and likeness. Obviously, they, God must look like us. Or we look like him. So the point is, according to the Bible, the word God is Elohim, which means the gods, and it's plural, meaning more than one. And they made us in their image and likeness, so we look like them. So that's why your male offspring looks human like you do. Okay? And here's him bowing down to the three men. Then we find out, actually, upon deeper research, the three men were actually three angels. Um, so this is why in the Christian New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, and this is what the Apostle Paul in Christianity says about this subject. He says, uh, but let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to, be not forgetful to entertain strangers for some for thereby some have entertained angels unaware, saying that when you meet someone, be hospitable, <clears throat> because you might be talking to an angel, because they look like you, or you look like them. And so here's another Bible, GNT translation, it says, remember to welcome strangers into your home. There were some who did that and welcomed angels without knowing it. Another translation, the NLT translation, says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. So the point I'm making is that angels and gods look like us. We are made in their image and likeness. And that is the bottom line on what I'm trying to get across to you. So now it's here that I want to clarify the idea that God is the gods and did not... They did not make man ish, they made A-D-M, not ish. Again, in the old ancient Hebrew, it says we, we shall make uh, ish, no, A-D-M, which is loosely transmitted human, in the image of us. So the gods made A-D-M, and A-D-M becomes Adam, A-D-A-M, and ADAM looks like the God that created him. So let's recap very quickly. God is Hebrew plural. 
which is actually henotheism, the worship of many gods, the plural meaning more than one, there it is, Elohim, we shall make man. And it goes on, and back here it says, we shall make ADM, not ish. <clears throat> other gods, we're told not to worship other gods and worship them. Indeed, there are many of them. There are many gods. God said, let us make man in our image. So therefore, the conclusion is God is the gods, and the gods made ADM and not ish. Now, the three men with Abraham turned out to be angels. Now let's move on to the next point. Now that for, now for that we go to Genesis 9-1. After the flood of Noah's day in the Bible, Genesis 9-1 says, this is after the flood of Noah's day when everyone supposedly had been killed in the flood. And then God said to Noah and his sons, <clears throat> he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Uh, I remember asking the rabbis many, many years ago, is this a correct translation from the Old Hebrew? Uh, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. The question I have for the rabbi was, is this word replenish correctly translated? And he said, yes, it is. Well, re means do it again. So to replenish means to do it again. Well, Obviously, if the earth had many people and God destroyed all the people in a flood, and if you want people on the earth, you're going to have to replenish the earth. Make sense? So in Genesis 9, 1, replenish the earth. He's telling Noah and his sons. Okay? Re, as I said, means do it again. And here is in the old Jewish Bible, it says, Elohim, said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. It's a Hebrew word meaning do it again. But what about Genesis 1-1? And here's the point. Genesis 1-1, when God is making ADM and his wife, when God is making the first pair, here it is in Genesis 1, where God is creating ADM or Adam and his wife Eve. It says, and so God created man, the God's created man in his own image, and the image of God created he them, male and female. And God blessed Adam uh, Adam and his wife. God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. So here God is saying to Adam and Eve, the first couple supposedly, to replenish the earth. Do it again. So what are you talking about? I thought that uh, God created Adam and Eve was the first couple. No, no, God says replenish the earth, do it again. So why would the gods tell Adam and his wife to multiply and replenish the earth? It means because he wanted them to do it again. And the reason why is because if you go to Genesis 1-1, the answer to why Adam and Eve were to replenish the earth, Genesis 1-2 is a very important scripture. In the beginning, the gods created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. That is an incorrect English translation of the Hebrew words tohu vavohu. That's an incorrect translation. Uh, the earth was without form and void. Think about it. God creates the earth, and it has no form, and it's void. I mean, what does that all mean? It's without form and void. Well, it's a mistranslation. That's not what it says. So when we read the earth was without form and void, it's a mistranslation of the original Hebrew words tohu vavohu. 
And the earth was, in the old Jewish Bible, and the earth was tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu is actually translated correctly, and the earth became a waste and a desolation, not form without form and void. No, the earth tohu vavohu means became a waste and a desolation. So what is the Bible actually saying in the original Hebrew is that the earth became a waste. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but Hebrew, va, was the earth, was, became uh, a waste and a, and a desolation. Um, this says, in the Hebrew, the order of words in the sentence is also important. When the verb is in the original text and follows the subject in, in the sentence, it indicates a change of tense and should be translated as became or had become. It is a change of something existing from what it had been. Since the earth had already been created in Genesis 1.1, the verb haya being in the original text follows the subject, thus indicates a change that occurred with the earth at its original creation. Since a change in the earth had already taken place in the past, the verb haya translate, translated, incorrectly translated was, should have been translated correctly as became a waste and a desolation. This is very important. Here's a good, uh, Genesis, a good book, a Bible translation that at least said it right. And the earth became a waste. And here's a translation from the old, uh, in an old Hebrew Bible. It says the earth was without form and void. No, was is became. And without form, no. The word is tohu vavohu, a waste. So what I'm saying to you is that what the Bible is saying in Genesis 1-2 is that the earth became a terrible waste and a terrible uh, place. It wasn't created without form and void. The word is tohu vavohu. Okay. So not created tohu, but became. The earth became a waste and a desolation. Now that's important because the Hebrew words tohu vavohu are only found twice in the Bible. Genesis 1, 2, tohu vavohu means became a waste and a desolation. Well, there's a second place tohu vavohu is used, and it's in the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, the fourth chapter, the Bible says, Jeremiah said, I was, was given a vision by God. The prophet Jeremiah says, I was given a vision by God. And in the vision, he said, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void. No, Jeremiah had a vision from God, and in the vision, the, he saw the earth became a waste and a desolation. And he then goes on to say in 25, and I beheld, and there was no man, there was no ish, and for sure there was no Adam. So he was saying the earth and it became a waste and a desolation, and there was no man. But then he goes on to say in 26, And I beheld, and a fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down, and the whole land became desolate. What do you mean all the cities? There was no man, there was no Adam, no Ish, but there were big cities. And, and then all of a sudden those cities became a waste and a desolation. Here's another um, uh, quote. It said, the earth was without form of void. And then it says, without form of void? No, Jeremiah clearly indicates the earth 
had undergone a cataclysm. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Cosmic change as, the devo- as a result of divine judgment. The face of the earth bears bears witness everywhere the marks of such a catastrophic thing happening on the earth. So, here's another quote. Beresheba uh, 1-2, which is actually Genesis 1-2, and the earth was tohu vabohu, can be taken as a hint that the Bible, or Torah, stands, it starts its account after the destruction of the world of prehistoric man. And that is the point I'm trying to make here today is that when the Bible talks about the creation of ADM, Adam, it's not talking about Ish, and it's not talking about man, it's talking about a particular kind of man that is made in the image and the likeness of the Elohim. Because whatever man was that was already here for millions of years, something happened where an outside uh, entities came here, they were called the Elohim, the gods. Well, what were the gods? I don't know, but if you ask a child, where is God? And the children will say God's in, uh, in heaven. Or do you believe in angels? Yes. Well, where do angels come from? They come from heaven. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but any time a god or an angel comes from heaven, that's extraterrestrial. That's not from here. They're not from Cleveland. They're from heaven. Okay? <laughs> so, the, so all the ancient scriptures of the world say that the gods... Whoever they are, they came down here and they saw the indigenous creatures, the ish, the man, the creatures. We call them hominids in science. You know, they, were, they were hominid creatures. They weren't quite man. But they kind of walked upright and looked something like us. And then somebody intervened in our natural evolution of hominid creatures and created a new kind of man. Not ish, Adam. That's you. Somebody created you, and they didn't just create you out of nothing. No, someone intervened in our natural evolution of millions of years and came here and created a new kind of man. So again, Genesis 1, 28, and God created man in his own image, and he told Adam and Eve to replenish the earth. Of course, why would the gods tell Adam and his wife to Multiply and replenish the earth because re means do it again. What did I do? Did I push a wrong button here? Oh, wait a minute. Push the what? Oh, you do it for me. Because I don't want to make it even worse. Oh, I'm sorry. I click and then mouse. Okay. 
Good, thank you. That's good. You know, I'll just take it from there. So again, we see that uh, Genesis 1, 2. says that the earth was tohu vavohu, and this writer in the Hebrew says that's taken as a hint that the Torah or the Bible starts its biblical account of man after the destruction of prehistoric man. So now what we're talking about is hominid creatures, these ancient uh, creatures which we have found skeletal remains all over the earth of creatures which walked upright. We call them hominid creatures. Well, caveman, I don't care what you call them. We got all kinds of names for the ancient uh, peoples of the world. They were called hominids. <clears throat> and, sin, and from the hominid creatures, we now have Adam, a different kind of creature. So from this uh, hominid creature to modern day humans. So we start off with the hominids and we end up today with modern day humans. Yeah. So the point I'm making is that we were hominids. We were ancient, ancient creatures until somebody intervened in our natural evolution and created us. And the scripture says in the Bible and in all other ancient scriptures say the same thing that the gods created us in their image and in their likeness. And so we look like they, they who have created us, which means that today there very well might be um, people who we consider to be um, beautiful and important people, politicians, and important people who are leading the world, which are in point of fact not human at all. They very well might be, the earth and its people on the earth today very well might be led by higher intelligences who look like us. And we look up to them because they're big shot uh, politicians and big shot world leaders, never realizing you are looking at the Anunnaki, the ones that the ancient call, the ones who created the humans. They're not human. They just look human. And there have been a lot of sci-fi movies made about that, Alien Nation and Spielberg and, uh, with his uh, television series Taken. So all I'm saying to you is that you need to go back and think about the idea that uh, evolution is not the subject, intervention is the subject, and I am totally convinced that we are being led in the world today all over the earth by entities that look like us, that look like human, but they are the ones who represent those who created us. We look like them, and they are misleading us, playing us for fools, and getting us to fight their wars, and they're selling our bodies on the New York Stock Exchange, and they've set up a whole system of commerce in the world, and religions, and politics, and all the other human uh, the trash that we have to deal with every day in life, why? Because they created us and they are our gods. So I would suggest that you might want to take another look at religion, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and understand these are nothing more than the creation of the gods. And there's no truth in them anywhere. There's nothing, nothing of any value in those three religions. 
and unless and until you can get out from under the manipulation and the exploitation of the human psyche by those who look like us, uh, we are in serious trouble in this world because the people have given their sovereignty, they've given their lives, they've given their hopes of the future to possibly extraterrestrials who couldn't care less about you. They created you and they look upon us as chattel property. They own you like, like trash or like animals. So I would suggest that what we need to see now in the world is a revolution of minds. We need a whole spiritual renaissance where the people of the world rise up and say, no longer do we buy into your religions, your politics, your commercial systems, your banking, none of it. It's all extraterrestrial influenced, and we don't believe in your gods anymore. It doesn't mean that there isn't a divine presence in the universe. That, there is no doubt in my mind. But we are coming to a place now, I mean, the Mayan calendar is talking about it, but I don't know if that's going to be of any importance. But I do know that the world is entering into a very dark period now where the human race is going to wake up and find out we've been had by those entities who have come here from somewhere else and made us to look like them, and they are misleading the whole human race using Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And I want to thank you. Oh, yeah. Question and answer? Yeah, okay. I, could I guess we could take some question and answer. That doesn't mean I have the answers. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So if you, uh, if you got any questions which I can't answer, then you, you, know, you can come to the mic <coughs> if you have any. <coughs> but again, I would say I'm, you know, I'm not the world's foremost authority on anything, so don't expect any <coughs> brilliant answers from me. I, I have always believed, and I've said this many times, always trust the person looking for the truth. Don't ever trust the one who's found it. All right, Jordan, you've shown uh, that in the Old Testament many times they use the word Elohim. Is there any ever time they use the word Eli representing a single God? <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah quite a few times, but they were, uh, usually that was uh, applied to angels or Jewish high priests. They were, tall, they were called uh, Elias, and uh, so uh, sometimes when that word was used, it was talking about angels, a particular angel, or one of the Jewish high priests also had the same t uh, title. And so that's a whole subject. I mean, uh, you know, you can get into the whole subject of, of the Hebrew language and the word God as opposed to God's as opposed to the Elohim, and there's a very important subject, <clears throat> which I didn't even touch on here. Well, I, I touched a little bit on it, but, uh, but the subject is the sons of God, because in the Hebrew Bible, as also in, in, in other different uh, old um, religious texts, there is an idea in the Bible, in the Old Testament Bible, there are many different kinds of entities. There are spirits, <clears throat> which we call uh, ghosts uh, or spirits. Then there's disembodied spirits. 
disembodied spirits means that there were spirits which used to have a body and then they, their body died and so their, their spirit went back into the spirit world which is the spirits of humans who have died but um, they are disembodied spirits because they used to have a body. Well that's not the same as ghosts or spirit entities in the Bible because the spirit entities in the Bible were created spirits and they never had a body as opposed to people when they die their spirit goes out. So now there's two kinds of spirits. The ones who were always a spirit and then the ones that used to have a body. And so now we got two kinds of spirits. Then you have something called the watchers in the Old Testament. The watchers is a different term for a different kind of spirit entity. Then you have another term which is in the most important one is sons of God. Sons of God are not angels. Sons of God are the offspring of the mating between the extraterrestrials who came here and the women who were already here and they had offspring and the Bible doesn't call them children. It says that the aliens or the, or the, the, the Elohim, the gods who came here and after they create ADM, Adam, they begin to see that what they had created was beautiful. The women were gorgeous. So they started thinking too much about what they have created and started taking on the women and, and, and procreating with them. And it doesn't say what the women gave birth to. The Bible says and, 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 and the women gave birth to children. No, it doesn't say that in Hebrew. It just says that the women gave birth, period. And it doesn't say what they gave birth to. Well, if these were extraterrestrials from another world who looked like us and they crossbreed with the human creatures that they had created uh, and those creatures were giving birth to something that was extraterrestrial and human and hominid, it was uh, now, uh, uh, that's why today I think that we are half human, half man, and half spirit. Because there's half, and the Apostle Paul says that, there's a war going on in the flesh of mankind between the spirit and the flesh. Why? Because the flesh represents the ish, the, the creatures that were already here, as opposed to when the angels came here, or the spirits, or whoever they are, came here and recreated us, now there's half of us is from them, the Anunnaki, and the other half is from the Ish, uh, the, the, the creatures that were already here. Well, that's true, because all humans, half of us, are just animals, but the other half creates beautiful music and lasers and goes to the moon and, and has beautiful art and can do wonderful and great things and be very spiritual. And at the same time, you can get drunk and go out and kill somebody because there's, that's the human part of us. So there's two, there's, a, there's two things going on inside of us. The, the war between the, the, what the extraterrestrials put into us and the, the, the normal animalistic thing that, that we were before they got here. So that's what I'm saying the human race is today. We are an intervention in our natural evolution. Strange stuff. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You talk about um, being aware of religion or kind of being wary of religion, but this information is in the Bible. How do you? Yeah. How do you? It's because the Bible that? is not the work of, of a holy priesthood writing uh, uh, holy scriptures. The Bible is the work of people who have studied all the ancient cults of the world, all the ancient religions of the world, the ancient hidden mysteries of the world. 
And when you begin to look at the actual history of the Old Testament uh, and the history of the ancient Hebrews, you will find there was no ancient history of the Hebrews, that the Old Testament most likely was put together by some very, very highly intelligent uh, uh, priests and writers, probably doing, um, I would say, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th century A.D., I do not believe that Judaism is a B.C. religion. I don't think there was an ancient uh, Jerusalem, an ancient Judaism. I believe that the Bible has, as we know it, the Old Testament Bible, the Jewish Old Testament, probably has something to do with the uh, Hanseatic League, a German league of highly intelligent uh, priests, uh, clergymen, uh, uh, commercial ventures, bankers. It's called the Hanseatic League. And out of the Hanseatic League, uh, in Europe began a whole new religious concept called, called Judaism. And we begin to see a whole new religion being developed. But that's in the A.D. And as far as I'm concerned, looking at all the reference works of the world, there was no B.C. Judaism. There was no ancient Jerusalem. There was no ancient uh, Hebrew people. None so of it ever existed. So you make but I'm thinking that um, Whoever these wise men were that put together this Bible and wrote it in such a way as to encode secret things into it, anyone who studied the Bible knows that almost 99% of everything that's in the Old Testament was already in existence in ancient cultures, the old Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Phoenician Canaanites, the Assyrians, especially the Medo-Persians. But all of these uh, ancient stories that were, uh, and I believe these ancient people with their ancient stories were not writing for Hollywood. They're just telling you what they saw. They're just telling you. The Sumerians were just telling you what they were experiencing. They were not writing for, for television. And so the people who wrote the Old Testament took all of those ancient stories and put them together and started getting a consensus of what the ancient people were saying and what was really going on, and then they translated it into a new book for us called the Bible. So I have the highest of respect for the Bible and, and what's in it because I understand it didn't come from Yahweh and some wonderful God. No, it's a collection of all the ancient wisdom of the world that these people, um, you know, five to 700 years ago were very intelligent people, and they were getting a consensus of all the ancient writings of the world, from the Egyptians, the ancient Hindus, and put together a, a whole new story based on all of that ancient stuff. So that's why I have the highest of respect for the Bible, because it's an incredible collection of ancient wisdom. And it's telling you something, but like the rabbis have told me, it's all encoded. It's encoded. It's not on the surface. You need to know uh, what the rabbis were really saying. And what, who, and what these people were really saying, not what you thought they were saying. So religion is basically using that as a, the, the good information and then distorting it in order to control. That's right, to keep control. Thank but you. there are rabbis who, and I've sat with some very, really interesting rabbis who, who tell me, because I confronted them with a lot of this, they said, well, you're right. And I said, no, I want to know, was Judaism actually a B.C. religion? They said, well, I mean... It's, it's, just a story. it's just a story. And I said, I know it's just a story, but I'm asking you, was there any legitimate history in it? No, there wasn't. And now there, is a, there are the top uh, archaeologists and the top paleontologists in Egypt. One is named Finkelstein, and I, the other one, I can't remember his name. They have come out with a book about two years ago, 
They were the top professors in, 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 uh, in Israel. And they wrote a book together called Unearthing the Bible, in which they said, and they are the best of the best in Israel, and they said none of the stories in the Old Testament were history. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. None of them. There was no Moses and there was no crossing of the Red Sea and there was no uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of these stories were stories of the ancient world that were remolded into a new story for a new time and a new people. But all of it's based on the ancient stuff. So that means that what you're reading is not necessarily uh, nonsense and, and, and crap. No, it's based on ancient real uh, knowledge that the ancient peoples had, but it's a new story for a new time. That's why the Bible's called the greatest story ever told. It's a story. And, as, you know, and so if you understand it's a story and it's based on older, more ancient uh, you know, writings, I have the highest of admiration for the Bible because it's a great collection. And I, at, at this point, I'd like to also say, I have an, an, uh, an uh, all-encompassing uh, fear and, and, uh, and appreciation for God. I have no problem with the concept of a divine presence in the universe that is overshadowing all life. Uh, there is the differences of God. Are you talking about aliens who came here who were very clever and created you? Or are you talking about a higher uh, power in the universe that's even over them? Well, from all I've gathered, from what people have said in books and, and lectures I've heard, uh, that they have been abducted by these aliens who look like us, who look like Nordics. Well, you're talking about people who look human. And, but they were extraterrestrial. Well, as the Bible says, same thing. But I have the highest of admiration for the idea, the concept of a higher power in the universe that men have called God. I don't have any problem with that idea at all. It's these silly religions, which are corporations and businesses and making billions of dollars off of poor people's ignorance. That's what I have a problem with. God, I don't have any problem with God. I don't mess with that. I don't even think I'd be alive today if it wasn't for God, so. Hi. Uh, which Anunnaki do you think are behind the Illuminati? Is it like um, Enlil or, or Marduk? And what's happened to Enki and Nima? Uh, I'm not really sure about any of that. Uh, I was a very close friends with Zachariah Sitchin, and I was in business with him, and we talked about this stuff quite a bit. I sent Zachariah Sitchin to five countries, and I helped get his books published. And he and I were very close friends for a long time. We were in business together. And I have, I've, I've asked him a lot of these questions. Uh, he knew the answers to them, but he would never give me any straight answer. Uh, so I, I, was, I would say that I'm not sure about this subject. All, only thing I am sure about is that we're not talking about one glorious God who created Adam and Eve. We're talking about extraterrestrials who look like us. And of that, there's no doubt in my mind about. Because the people who are running this planet have already proven 
to, until they've proven over and over again they don't care about the human race. They don't care about human life. Why? Because they're not human. They're not like us. They're not human. They don't care. They have to kill millions of children in, in another country. They just don't care because they're, they're, you know, they created us. So, you know, we are like a chattel. I mean, in law, we are, humans are called chattel property, meaning we're cattle. And so, naturally, a farmer or a rancher will take care of his cattle. Why? Because he can sell them and they, you can have hamburgers. And so you have to take care of your cattle. And so you give them a place to live and water to drink and food and take care of them and give them entertainment. That doesn't mean you love them. No, it means you're going to feed off of them. You're going to sell them on the stock market. You're going to use them. To, uh, for your political purposes. So I don't think the people who are leading the country and leading the world today are human. I think they're demonic, they're depraved, they're evil, and probably the most powerful evil, demonic, and depraved of all is in the U.S. I think we're being led by the most evil people in the world. And again, I don't think they're human. Hi, um, I was reading a book on symbolics. I was, sorry. Yeah. I was reading a book on uh, symbols, uh -huh. and it said that religions that use the symbol of the cross and the crown are religions that are run by the Illuminati. Is that yeah. any kind of relevance mm -hmm. at all to that? Yeah. yeah. Really? Oh, I've been talking about that for years. Oh, really? What I would tell you about that, she's talking about the religious symbol that's used in Christianity of a cross inside of a crown, the yeah. cross and the crown. Charles Tess Russell used the cross and the crown back in 1871 when he started the IBSA, which became known as Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses was started by a, 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 an organization back in 1871 uh, that used the cross and the crown. All the Protestant Christianity, all the Protestant Christianity uses the cross and the crown. Plus, um, some of the facets of the Catholic Church still use the cross and the crown. But the cross and the crown, Christians think the cross represents the cross of Christ and the crown that Jesus will wear as king. No, the cross and the crown has to do with Masonic order. It has to do with a very ancient orders coming out of Rome and the days of the Caesars when the cross and the crown was used as an occult symbol for secret societies that were beginning to come up with this new idea of Christianity. And so it's a very interesting subject on occult symbols and how they're being used today. They don't mean what you think they do. Thank you. Yeah. You know, incidentally, the very word church, you know how many people go to church every day and have no idea where the word comes from and what it means? Church comes from a, from a Scottish word, kirk like Captain Kirk of the good ship Enterprise. You know, well, that's, a, that's what a religion is, it's an enterprise. But church is an English word that's based on a Scottish word, Kirk, K-E-R-K or K-I-R-K. And Kirk is directly, trans, uh, directly connected to an ancient goddess in the Middle East called Circe or Circe. She was called Mother Circe, or later on in Scotland, Mother Kirk, or later on in England, Mother Church. Church is Circe in Scotland. Circe is, is uh, uh, Kirk in Scottish, becomes Circe in the ancient Middle East. She was a goddess. And she was a goddess in the Greek mythology who was able to hypnotize people and bring them into her home 
shut the door and take their minds away from them and eat them and live off of them. And so this is what Mother Cersei has done, Mother Church. Yeah, the church takes people in with magic, brings them in, locks the door behind, takes their, their minds so they can't read, they can't think, and all they know how to do is bow down to the man with the fish head. And they, and, 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 but it's true, that's what the Pope wears. It's called the Pope's mitre. It's a, it's a head of a fish, which goes back to the worship of Dagon, Dagon the fish god of Rome. So all of this is all ancient stuff coming from somewhere out there. And these people are real serious evil. Well, you're absolutely right. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask you uh, what you knew about the report from Iron Mountain that JFK requisitioned in 1961 with the experts, and then that came out um, yeah, no, I remember. talking about secret societies and relating yeah. that to biblical phrases and then bringing in the New World Order and just how they were going to dismantle America, collapse our Constitution yeah. and the Bill of Rights and take away... Well, they're not going to do that. It's already done. It's so. done, right. But I mean, I'm just wondering what you... It's. I know. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah, I've, I've talked to too many... I've been all around the world and I've talked to too many people and very important people that you have no idea in the world that I know <clears throat> that uh, at the very top of this government that were personal friends of mine and I've sat and talked with them in private um, advisors to the President of the United States top of the top on the line people that I've been able to meet and and became friends with and they allowed me to talk with them in private and I so it's my it's just my subjective opinion but it's based on the conversation with many many peoples over the years that um, that there is no hope to save America or the human race. I was giving a, I was on a panel uh, in Los Angeles about a year ago, and George Norrie was hosting it. And, I, and, and while we were up there, I saw a man come in with a three-piece suit. He looked government the moment he walked in. Mm -hmm. And I watched him in the back of the room. And just about the time we were going to end the, the question and answer period, he walked over to the other corner of the room. I watched him walk over to the side so that when we come down off the platform, we're facing him. And as I came down off the platform, he looked at me and said, you, yeah, come in, you, come in. So I walked over to him and he, had, he opened his wallet. It's a long oblong wallet and handed it to me. He didn't say a word, he just handed me the wallet. And I opened it up and it was two badges from government very impressive organizations in government. And I'm not going to tell you what, but uh, you know, it's higher than CIA. And two badges and two IDs in this heavy wallet. And he handed it to me. And I looked at it for a few moments. I studied it for a few moments. And, uh, and then I, I looked at him and I said, very impressive. He said, it's real. And he said, I've been sent here. The government sends me to all kinds of conferences just to listen to see what people know and what they don't know and what they're talking about. We just want to see what's going on. And Taking he said, a sampling of the chattel. Huh? No. And he said, but I was told particularly um, to listen to you. And that's why I'm here. He said, uh, I, I would, you know, he, t he told me some interesting stuff. He said one thing in particular I thought was very significant. He said, the, my higher-ups, um, have told me that they like what you do. 
that they don't have any problem what you do. They see you as a good guy trying to help your fellow man. So uh, they don't, I, say, I don't think you're going to have any problem with government. They know who you are. They know what you're trying to do. They're just more interested to see who's going to listen to you. you know, they're just interested to see who's, who's smart enough to listen to you. Interesting. So with all you know and all you've been told, then the educational value of what you're doing is being conceded as being the it's most my valuable. feeling, it's just my subjective opinion, but I, I think that cosmically speaking, I don't think there is any hope for the human race. Why? I didn't say the in, not individuals. I'm not talking about individuals. I think individuals are being called out from the mass, but I don't think the masses have a, have a chance in hell to, do, to uh, get away from what's coming. Uh, and the reason why is because trying to change the human race and educate people uh, today and the kind of world we live in is like trying to empty the Pacific with a cup because, uh, you know, it's a huge tsunami of ignorance and stupidity, self-centered, egotistical, know-it-all, pompous, arrogant stupidity of the human race that wants to hear nothing of truth. All they are interested in is important things that have to do with life, like football, basketball, and the movie stars getting married, and all that nonsense. Yeah. Oh, as long as, uh, as long as the human race loves to be deceived by their masters, not realizing their bodies are actually security on the New York Stock Exchange for the banking industry, and the banks are not the powers of this world, it's the insurance companies behind the banks. And the reason why the insurance companies are behind the banks is because of the 14th Amendment. And once you understand the 14th Amendment's connection to insurance companies, the insurance companies' connection to the banks, and you understand that the government we got now is a, not the same government we started with in uh, 1776. It's a privately owned company. It's a private corporation. Once you understand how all this stuff works in relation to religion, the Catholic Church, the Jewish religion, Islam, and how it's all financially behind the scenes connected, and the whole world is being played for a fool. So I'm saying it's about time. I believe it's an idea whose time has come for the whole human race to wake up and find out we've been had. And the only real hope is individuals being called out uh, to stand on your own and start doing your own. I would suggest everyone should talk directly to the spirit, directly to God. Don't go through any religion or any man-made uh, system. All you have to do is talk to the Spirit, and the Spirit hears you. And then ask the Spirit after you've talked to the Spirit and tell it what you want and tell it what you need, and you're talking to the Spirit. Then ask the Spirit to show me that you've heard me. Give me a sign that you're hearing me, and watch what happens. Yeah, one more <coughs> yes. question. Um, I was thinking about that line, I guess, from the Bible that says, uh, what profit a man if he gained the entire world, but lose his soul lose or the kingdom soul. of heaven. And I started out wanting to ask you what you thought of that, even if that concept in your mind exists. But it's gotten a little bit modified because you've drawn the distinction between them and us, those who created us versus us. We're not them, they're not us. And essentially you've said that those who rule us, who um, you know, run the show, so to speak, are not really us, aren't fully human, or they represent them. 
I guess one of the things that I was thinking, and I would love to hear your thoughts about what profit a man, but can they spend our money? I mean, <laughs> I'm a little confused because if... Ask the question again. Well, in other words, obviously the same if they're people, we'll call them people, yeah. that started this, that created us in their image. Mm -hmm. Unless they live forever, they're not around anymore. So maybe they're just observers from somewhere else and they have intermediaries that are running us, for example? Well, yeah, that could be. very. That's what I think what the UFOs, my opinion is a lot of, not all of it, but a lot of the UFO activity, which is not ours, and we got a lot of UFO stuff ourselves, the humans have. But if there is anything out there that's not of human origin, which I think there is a lot of, I think it's probably them. And they are, uh, and, and there are probably other entities out in the universe that know about this situation here we've got on this earth, and they're coming here to see what the story is all about too. I wouldn't be a bit surprised that there are entities out there who have heard uh, of something going on on this planet called Earth, and they're coming down here to see what these creatures are like. And how, you know, they heard that we were created in the image and likeness of the entities, and they're coming down here to watch and see what's going on. Because they are, because they know something else is getting ready to happen. I think that there's wars going on between extraterrestrials as to who owns us, and who's going to, you know, who's going to uh, own us. And so I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that's what some of the UFO and, and, and alien stuff is: is and, people and again, coming just, here from other places to see us. And just for the fun of it, because my my question really wasn't uh, meant to be flip about can they spend our money, own us for what purpose? In other words, if you own something or you own uh, a business or you know you own the product productive capacity of some person it's it's for a purpose yeah so when I ask can they spend our money I, I just I'm sort of wondering uh, do you think that it's uh, above the physical realm like for example David Icke suggests that it's negative energy it's fear it's what they feed well, off yeah. of yeah I'm not sure how to answer that okay I just thought I'd ask it I'm not really sure how to answer that because I don't think I really understand the question probably go on Hello. Um, in some of the Gnostic texts, you have the notion that the uh, creators, plural, were uh, hideous, horrifying uh, you know, monsters from the abyss. Just from your reading of the Bible and the various interpre interpretations of it, uh, I've heard it said that uh, you know, Satan, Shaitan, the accuser, uh, was perhaps uh, our, on our side, and Yahweh, the uh, vengeful oppressor, was in fact Satan. And you can flip it. I was just wondering what your thoughts on well, that Well, the Gnostics say that Yahweh, the Hebrew God, is Satan. And, um, and that uh, Yahweh is the, um, the Demiurge, um, the dark force, Darth Vader. That's what the Gnostics, the ancient Gnostics, taught, that Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, was like Darth Vader, the evil one. And um, the Gnostics are very important people, and Gnosticism is a very important religion. The Christians like to put it down, but the Christians put down anything that has anything to do with reading and studying. Um, but I, I think that there's a bigger story here. Uh, the man I like to listen to on this subject, and there's quite a few of them, but uh, is Jay Winder. Jay Winder is an incredibly brilliant guy and fascinating to listen to. And also... Uh, um, uh, Lloyd Pye. Lloyd Pye is extraordinarily good on this subject of how the aliens created us. Lloyd Pye, so you need to know about Lloyd Pye and Jay Winder. I think we're going to have to go there telling me we're through. Thank you again for being here.